So did, did Dane look nervous up here? <laughs> I was in a committee meeting, and um, I told them, I said, they said, you got to go. And I said, well, Dane is about to do the welcome. He just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> so I figured he might be a little nervous out here. <laughs> Today I was amazed. I was, I, I was looking at this subject online to see what was out there. And, and the websites that I found, there was one called absolution-online.com. And you go in on there, and then you have to check the category of sin. And, and it, it's a Catholic website, but they make sure to tell you that there's no guarantee of absolution, that that has to, according to the Catholic laws, has to actually happen in person. But, but you click the category of sin, like the, did you break the Ten Commandments, the seven deadly sins, internal sins, physical sins, general sins, and, and, and then you confess, and it pops up and tells you what you're supposed to do for your penance. Another one was secret-confessions.com, and here's what it says. Secret Confessions is a place where you can confess anything. Confess your deepest, darkest secret, or tell us what you really think about your boss. Confess that embarrassing secret, the one that makes you cringe every time you think about it. Post your confession, reply, or make a comment. You are completely anonymous at Secret Confessions. A third one, simplyconfess.com says there are thoughts and deeds that you might not be able to reveal to anyone, although sometimes you feel like your mind might explode or chest might burst if you don't. What if you could make your own confessions without revealing your identity? Visitors then put into words what they've spent a lifetime wanting nobody to know. And you can read these long hidden confessions and, and their website has a motto. It says every person has at least one secret that would break your heart. Now, I don't know about that, but I do know this. Everybody has a past. There's not a person in here who, who has a past, and everybody has skeletons in their past. I don't think there's any, and I'm not talking about crazy Uncle Harry, okay? Um, every one of us have things that we've done or said in the past that we would be embarrassed if everybody in the room knew that that was in our past, that that was part of who we are. None of us have lived a perfect life. And those regrets then produce something called guilt in our life. A synonym for guilt is remorse. All right? So remorse comes from two different Latin words. It's a compound word, re, which means again, and mordere, which means to bite or to gnaw. So guilt then is this gnawing inside of you again and again. That's what remorse or guilt is. It's that constant kind of gnawing at your soul that you, you can't get rid of it. You think about it at day, at night, just at random times, those thoughts of guilt pop into your, to your thoughts and you're like, wow, still can't believe I did that. In our text tonight, David is looking in the rearview mirror at a horrible sin that he's committed. He's committed sin with Bathsheba. He's caused Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to be put to death in essence by putting him on the front lines and having the military withdraw from him. Um, and, and so he's, he's under a tremendous amount of guilt. We're in a series called Chainbreaker, where we're talking about the one who can break the chains in our life. Tonight we're going to specifically talk about breaking the chain of guilt. Now, I won't ask you to raise, my, raise your hand, but I think this is a very significant and, and very apropos subject tonight because I think there are more people than not in this room. 
that guilt is the thing that constantly comes up over something in your past that you've not completely somehow resolved or dealt with. And so I think it's a very relevant topic for us tonight. The, the text is Psalm 32. We're going to read the first two verses, but keep your Bible open because there are other verses in the psalm that we'll make reference to, okay? Psalm 32, 1 and 2, I ask you to stand and honor the reading of God's Word. And, and it, it says here, a psalm of David, a contemplation. Psalm 51 is the actual psalm of confession where David confesses his sins. You know, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, blot out my sins, return to me the joy of thy salvation. So I, th I think this is, having written Psalm 51, having done business with the Lord, this is contemplating then what's happened. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and who, in whose spirit there is no deceit. God, help us to understand the meaning of this psalm tonight and, and how it applies to our life. And God, I do pray that you would break the chains of guilt that have been binding so many. Set them free tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Christians have a heavy heart with this guilt subject for a few reasons, I think. For some, it's an accumulation of sins because there's been repetitive sins or they just look back at, at their life. And, and so what happens is they equate who they are with what they've done. Now, that's not true. You are not what you've done, but, but a lot of people make that, that correlation and it comes out like this. If people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. They wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. That's, this, that's one of the reasons we carry this guilt is this accumulation factor. For others, it's a specific sin that you struggle with. It's something that you can't seem to, to have victory over. Maybe it's a financial uh, condition. It's um, uh, not, not able to, impulsively spending and not able to control your finances maybe maybe it's a sexual sin from the past or maybe it's an addiction like drugs or alcohol or pornography or food for for others it's a false guilt i know folks that carry around guilt because they're ashamed that they were abused in their past now that's a false guilt that they weren't abused it because they were bad but they carry around this this guilt because you know how it is especially if you're abused as a young person, the mindset is bad things only happen to bad people. We know that's not true. At least as adults, I hope you figured that out, that bad things happen to good people. You know, it rains on the just and the unjust, okay? But as a child, when a child has a tra trauma, in their mind, bad things only happen to bad people. And so there are a lot of adults that are carrying around guilt that's a false guilt, but in their mind, they've convinced themselves they must be bad in some form or fashion or these things wouldn't have happened to them. They, he says in verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That word blessed, the Hebrew word means happy, fulfilled, content, or at peace. Where else do we read uh, a series of blesseds, right? Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Blessed is he who, and, and he gives all of these beatitudes. I think there's eight of them. And, and in the Greek, it's often translated happy. 
I read today that blessed is a state that is based upon God's acceptance of you and your acceptance of God's acceptance of you. Let me, let me say that again because you might not have got that the first time. Blessed is a state that is based upon God's acceptance of you and your acceptance of the fact that God accepts you. That's, that's the way this one person that I was reading today defined this word, blessed. Now, we didn't read verses 3 and 4, but, but let's look at them now. He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew cold through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. This is when David was carrying the guilt. This is before Nathan shows up and begins to tell him the, the, the fictitious story about the lamb and the man who only owned one lamb and how landowner next to him had all of these lambs and ultimately it's not about a lamb it's about a wife and you know he points his finger at david and he says you're the man and so this is this is when david thinks nobody knows except him and bathsheba what's happened and so he's carrying around this sense of guilt and he says he says when i kept silent my bones grew old through my groaning it's a picture of being robbed the sin, sin robbing you of happiness be, robbing you of your health robbing you of peace now, now contrast that with verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He says, prior to my confession, my health suffered. I was sick. I was heavy-hearted. My mental outlook was bad. Everything was negative. And, and now there's this peace because he says, I know that you have forgiven me. Back in verse 2, he uses an interesting word. He said, blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. The word impute is an accounting term. It was an accounting term. It, me it meant to credit to somebody's account. And so David says, blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. So what he's saying is, blessed is the man who the Lord doesn't credit to his account his sin. Because David knew that he had committed grave sin, he had confessed that sin, and God had forgiven him, and so now God had wiped it off of the ledger. It was as though the sin didn't exist. David could go back to him now and say, hey, you know, I'm really sorry that I committed that sin, and, and God would be like, what sin? Because he says to, in Jeremiah, he says, I will remember your sin no more. He says, you know, he says, he, he will put it behind his back, I think, in Micah. He says in, in the Psalms, Psalm 103, maybe cast it as far as the east is from the west. The point is, when God forgives, he has the ability to forget. He chooses not to remember. Let's put it that way. God chooses not to remember our sin. And so David is saying, blessed is the man who God chooses not to remember his sin and credit to, to his account. So how do you, that begs the question, how do you and I then avoid being chained to guilt? How, how's the chain of guilt broken? Three things from our text. Number one, you need to avoid destructive thought patterns. There are thought patterns that will lead you down the path of guilt. Is it just me or does the past seem to resurrect itself from time to time? You're having your devotion time with the Lord boom that past comes into your thoughts now 
you know you've already confessed that to the Lord. You've already repented of that. You know the Lord's already forgiven you, and yet it shows up in your devotion time. Or you're standing and you're really getting into worship on a Sunday morning, and you're praising the Lord, and boom, there it is. That thought comes back into your mind. And again, you know that it's been taken care of. It, it's it's kind of like the walking dead. Our guilt are emotional zombies that we can't seem to kill. They keep coming and coming and coming so what are some of the destructive thought patterns that you need to avoid one is denying sin just denying it see we deny that we have sinned or deny what we did is a sin that's going to lead you down the path of guilt psalm 19 verse 12 who can understand his errors cleanse me from my secret faults bottom line is when we know that the word of god calls something a sin listen friend if the holy spirit lives inside of you he's not going to let you forget that god calls that a sin and that you committed it that's the holy spirit's job john 16 convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment he does it in our life from the inside and so if you're denying sin then you're carrying guilt for a right reason another negative thought that can lead to guilt is minimizing sin everybody does it no again i think i told you last wednesday night the only thing everybody in here is doing is breathing all right there's nothing else that that everybody in the room is doing um or or i'm i'm human or i can't help it it's as if the idea that since everybody sins that's going to lessen somehow lessen the guilt if it's not a big deal why do we remember it so often i mean if you try to rationalize it away and minimize it and say oh it's not that big of a sin why does it keep coming back to you why do things that happened 5 10 20 years ago still bother you see trying to minimize sin is trying to silence the holy spirit not going to happen all right rationalizing sin is another negative thought pattern that will lead to you carrying guilt around we want to justify it we want to explain it away we know that we've done wrong but we say well others are worse than i am or you know i've heard people that have stolen from an employer say well i couldn't i couldn't make ends meet on what they were paying me as a as a way of justifying their stealing from their employer or trying to or or people that have committed adultery said well I, you know my, my spouse is cold towards me they don't love me and so they they try to justify that I know people that have done a lot worse things than what I've done. Those are the kinds of statements of trying to rationalize sin. Uh, another negative thought pattern is compromising with sin. And it plays out this way. Yeah, I know that God calls it a sin, but it's not a big sin. You know, there are big sins and little sins. and Yeah, I know God says it's wrong, but it's not that big of a deal. Sin is sin in God's eyes. There's not one sin that smells any better to his nostrils than another. They all stink. All right? We lower our standards. I was reading this preacher, uh, an article from this preacher this week, and he said he got a fortune cookie. And, you know, sometimes there's good theology in those fortune cookies. And this one, this one really did have good theology. This fortune cookie he had said this, if you commit a sin twice, it will not seem a sin to you. That's compromising with sin. You know, if you do it enough, pretty soon it doesn't look like a sin anymore. 
Proverbs 28, 13, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. I'll tell you another negative thought pattern that leads to guilt. Blaming others for our sin. Blaming others is as old as the hum, human race. Go all the way back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sin. You know, the, Eve is tempted. The, 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 the serpent says, he dialogues with her, lies to her, and, and so she eats, and then she gives to Adam, and he doesn't ask any questions. He just eats, and God shows up in the garden the way he usually did, and it's like, Adam, what have you done? And so Adam responds. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be, to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. So who does Adam blame? If you think he blamed Eve, raise your hand. If you think he blamed God, raise your hand. If you think he blamed both of them, raise your hand. That's the correct answer. All right? He says, this woman, first of all, he blames Eve. He says, you know, look, God, everything was cool. I was naming animals, and we didn't have any of this happen until she showed up. But then, but then where did she come from? This woman, oh, by the way, God, that you gave me. It's your fault because she got me into the, this mess and you're the one who thought it was a good idea for me to have her. Blaming others, is, it, it never goes anywhere. Do we do this? Well, God, you know, if I'd have been born into a different family, things would have been different. God, if you'd never put me in these circumstances, I wouldn't find myself in the mess I'm in. And, and in our guilt, we sometimes get angry with God and blame him the way that Adam did. I have a family member, won't tell you who it is, but I have a family member that is, I think, personally, is so consumed with guilt that they are defensive if an issue arises. That, I mean, the very first way they want to respond when any kind of issue comes up is, it's not my fault. And there's always a reason for it to be somebody else's fault, and I think, it, it, in looking at it, I think the thing is this person is so consumed with guilt that they want to blame others for their sin because they, they can't deal with any more uh, another negative thought pattern is punishing ourselves some deal with guilt by ministering self-punishment psalm 38 verse 4 for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden they are too heavy for me my wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness i'm troubled I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are full of inflammation. There's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. You know, um, sometimes we think, well, I've done something bad, so I have to even the scale. And so how do we do that? How do we even the scale? Sometimes it's illness. You can bring illness on yourself. You can by the way you think, by, by, by your heart. Um, David said, my bones grew old. We think, okay, I'm guilty, so I deserve to have an ulcer because I'm worried all the time. Um, depression is another way we self-punish. We allow depression in as a means of punishing ourselves at times. We, we set ourselves, ourse if, if you struggle with depression, sometimes we set ourselves up for failure so that we then can be justified in self-punishing ourselves. We don't want to succeed because then we can't punish. 
or failure. We plan to fail because we don't deserve to succeed. I'm a bad person. I don't deserve anything good. And then the ultimate form of self-punishment is suicide, not realizing that that punishes a whole lot of other people worse than it really does us. So avoid destructive thought patterns. Here's, here's the way you do that. Remember this statement. Failure is never final if you're a child of God. Don't let failure define you. If you're alive, that's not the last chapter. And so don't let it define you. Don't, don't, don't say, well, I, I am what I have done. You are not. What you've done may be wrong, but that's not who you are. That's not who you are in Christ, and that's not who God wants you to be. Secondly, how do you break the chain of guilt? Apply scriptural truths. Apply scriptural truths right here in our text. First, admit failure. Look at verse 5. David says, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin. I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I have not hidden. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You know, he admits it. <laughs> Guilty as charged. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the only thing, if you're not forgiven, the only thing stopping you from being forgiven tonight from the Lord God's perspective is your own unwillingness to admit your failure and to confess it and repent of it. I mean, he wants to forgive you from all unrighteousness. The word confess is a compound word. Um, it, it, it has the, it's, it's homo logeo. Homo same. Logeo means to speak. So in other words, when you confess, you are speaking about the situation the same way God would. That's what confess means, to say the same thing that God would say about it. Sometimes, though, like David, we try to hold sin inside and do everything we can to, to cover it up. And I think this is especially hard for believers because this is the way the devil gets us thinking. I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. I knew better. I wasn't raised that way. I was brought up in the church. I blew it. And so... so knowing that all of those things are true we try to hide it rather than just admit it and when we do that man that's when the guilt gets piled on hebrews 11 is kind of a sort of who's who of the old testament right you know the roll call of faith all of the people in the old testament by faith so and so did this by faith so and so did that let's just think about some of the folks who are listed there okay because in the same way that we call it a roll call of faith, we could call it a roll call of failures. Because they did. Noah, yeah, he was a preacher of righteousness and he built the ark and saved his family, but he also got drunk and was naked and exposed himself after the ark landed. Abraham's mentioned there. He's the father of the faithful. And yet he lied at least on two occasions about Sarah, his wife, and he lacked faith when God told him he was going to have a child. Isaac. Isaac messed up and blessed the wrong son. Jacob means grabber. He stole the birthright from his brother Esau. Moses, yeah, he delivered the Ten Commandments, but he also committed murder of an Egyptian. Rahab. Rahab's listed in the genealogy of Jesus, and she was a prostitute. Tamar is also listed there. She solicited her father-in-law to get him to give her a child. Ruth is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. She's a Moabite. Is a Moabite. Those came from Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughters. And as a Moabite, she couldn't worship in the temple. And she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. 
Samson, a he-man with a she-problem, right? I mean, I, I could go on and on, but here's the point. Romans 3.23 was true then, and it's true today. It's true today. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All right? We, we, we build these biblical characters up as, as great people of the faith, and we look past their human frailties. The point is, failure is a part of life, but just because you have failed doesn't make you a failure. Now, if you don't deal with it, you're going to continue to feel like a failure until you deal with it with God. You're going to continue to feel guilty. But just because you have failed, I don't think we'd say any one of these people that I just mentioned were failures. And yet they had failed at some point in their walk. So admit failure. Second way to break the chain of guilt in scriptural thoughts is to abstain from it. We have to be willing to repent, to turn from it. You know, sometimes people will mess up and they'll beg for another chance. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. Give me another chance. You, you probably heard that God is the God of the second chance, right? You ever heard that? We, we, we serve God who is the God of the second chance. Have you ever needed a third chance with God? Fourth chance? You know, the same sin kind of repeats itself. Listen, I'm glad that he's not the God of the second chance. Because if he was only the God of the second chance, all of those sins that I've committed the third time, boom, I'm done. I'm toast. He's the God that wants to forgive. He wants to give us a changed heart. That's better than a second chance. So, so you, you need to understand what you... What you don't need is a second chance. What you do need is change. Repentance is changing your mind so that you change your behavior. That's what, that's what the word repentance means. So I no longer think about sin the same way, so I then change the way I behave. That's what repentance is. I now see it the way that God sees it, and I don't want to see it that way in my life, and so I turn from it, and begin to walk away from it towards God. All right, the third thing, and we'll be done, God's rehabilitation from guilt. When God forgives us, he wants a couple of things. All right, God's rehabilitation from guilt. First of all, God wants you to accept his forgiveness. He wants you to accept his forgiveness. A lot of believers really struggle here. You ever find yourself, you ever find yourself confessing the same sin over and over and over again it doesn't mean that you haven't accepted or i mean it does mean that you haven't accepted god's forgiveness because if you confess something it becomes under the blood of christ if you confess it and repent of it it's under the blood god chooses to remember it no more i've told you this but i think you need to be reminded of it and some of you maybe have not heard it the holy spirit will never convict you of anything that's under the blood of christ the Holy Spirit will never make you feel guilty over something that is already under the blood of Christ. That is always the enemy. Now, if you're feeling guilty over something that's not under the blood of Christ, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. But if, if you've already confessed it and God's forgiven it and you then feel guilty, man, I can't believe I did that way back then, God. That's the enemy. Revelation says he is the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that's going to continuously bring up stuff that's under the blood of Christ. Not, not the Holy Spirit. 
So the bottom line is we have to accept God's acceptance. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus says, I was hung up for your hangups. I mean, he, he was. He says, I was crucified so you don't have to crucify yourself. I mean, I took it. If you won't forgive yourself over something that God has forgiven you, think what you're saying. You're telling God, God, I'm smarter about this than you are. I know better than you do, God, because if you were really smart, you'd be punishing me worse for this. But the fact that you're just willing to forgive it, I'm going to punish myself because you're not God enough to do it. That, that's what you're saying to God when you won't forgive yourself over something he's forgiven you of. Romans 8.1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought about how God forgives? I mean, God forgives instantly. You don't have to say a certain number of prayers. You don't have to do a certain number of deeds. You don't have to give. The moment you confess, God forgives. We draw things out. We, we, we make folks flounder. We want to see them grovel just a little bit. God's not that way. I mean, God forgives instantly. You say, God, I screwed up. I'm sorry, help me not do that again. Boom, he forgives. That's the way he is. He not only forgives inst instantly, he forgives completely. See, when we forgive, we like to leverage it. We like to remember it. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? But Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 38, 17, you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. How many fingers am I holding out right now? You'd have to guess, right? You say, I can't see him. Three, by the way. Um, you can't see what's behind your back. And God says, I am putting, when I forgive you, I'm putting your sins behind my back so that I don't see them anymore. So God wants us to accept his forgiveness, and then God wants us, third, secondly, to focus on our future. Did you know that God loves you today like you are, even if there's sin in your life? There's nothing you could do tonight to make God love you any more than what he loves you here tonight. Likewise, there's nothing you could do to make God love you any less. His love is not dependent upon what we do. His nature is love. He loves us like we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. See, if you've got sin in your life tonight, he loves you. I mean, understand that. He loves you like you are, but he loves you way too much to let you just stay there. He wants to break the chain of guilt. He wants to set you free through forgiveness. He wants you to focus on the future, not on the past. Part of restoration from guilt is allowing God to change your character. To take those bad things that make you a, a that, that make you that person and make you a better person, a stronger Christian. Now, if you're not a believer today, there's no way your conscience is going to be cleansed and your character is going to be changed. You've got to come to Christ first and he'll remove the guilt. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away all things have become new. So you get the new nature, you get the new, new character, everything when you come to Christ. BBC Earth 
has an online tool called Your Life on Earth. You can enter your height and your gender, and you can enter certain facts about you. And uh, that was one of the places where I got those facts from, from the sermon a few weeks ago about how many times your, your heart beats. Um, you know, I calculated my age and my number of heartbeats. I, I think it's been over two, million time, two billion times it's, it's beat so far in my life. I'm, uh, I'm 57 on earth, but on Mercury, I'm only 13.68 years. I'm just hitting puberty on mer Mercury, okay? So you may say, I'm well past middle-aged, but not on Mercury, I'm not. See, because we measure time by the Earth's rotation, 24 hours to complete a turn, it takes Mercury 88 days to rotate around the sun. Now, why do I tell you something silly like that? Because here, what metrics do you use to track your spiritual life? How has your soul grown? What, what, how would you chart measuring what your commitment to Christ looks like? What, what life events have shaped your character today? Some of you look back on life and you're carrying lots of guilt around there's a book by Sinclair Ferguson called By Grace Alone. And in the book, he says there are four major fiery darts that the enemy uses to rob a believer of their assurance of salvation and to rob them of peace in their life. I want to give you those fiery, four fiery darts because they're really good. That's a good book if you want to read it. Sinclair Ferguson, By Grace Alone. Fiery dart number one that the devil uses against you is the idea that God is against you. Here's how Satan puts it. How can you say God is for you when you see all of the bad things that have happened in your life? I mean, if God was really for you, do you think all of these horrible things that have happened to you would have happened? That's the logic that the enemy uses with dart number one. If he was really a good God, things would be going better in your life. You'd have got that promotion. You wouldn't have got the divorce. You, you wouldn't have had the miscarriage and on and on and on. Fiery dart number two that the enemy uses. I have accusations that I'll bring against you because of your sins. And then he argues, he says, what, what can you say? You, you don't have any defense because you and I both know you're guilty. Fiery dart number three. You can say you're forgiven, but there's a payback day coming. There's a day God will settle accounts. A, a condemnation day. He gets us to believing that that's so. Then fiery dart number four. Given your track, track record, what hope is there that you're going to be accepted by God in the end? You know, he says, seriously. Think through 57 years. How many horrible things have you done in 57 years? Do you really, in the scope of seven and a half billion people, do you think God's going to let you in? That's fiery dart number four. Some of you have been being hit by those darts for years. I want to close tonight with a story that I read. Dr. Steve Brown has pastored for 25 years, and he's now a professor at the Reformed Theological Seminary. Early in his ministry, he counseled, and one of the people that he counseled was a woman who 20 years before had been unfaithful to her husband. She'd been carrying guilt for 20 years years and he was the first person outside of the person she committed adultery with 
the first person that she ever told, that ever knew from her. He said after we talked about it and prayed about it for a long time, he recommended that she tell her husband. He said that wasn't always the counsel that he gave, but in this situation he knew her husband and he knew that after the shock of it that their marriage would probably be stronger. He told her, he said, it's not going to be easy. But she promised she would tell her husband. Here's what she told him. She says, Pastor, I trust you. I trust you enough to do what you ask, but if my marriage falls apart as a result, I also want you to know I'm going to blame you. No pressure there. She says, yeah, I trust you. I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell him what I did 20 years ago and hope he forgives, but if he doesn't, I'm back at your office tomorrow and we're going to have a different conversation. He said that um, he prayed with great seriousness after she said that to him. You know, sometimes the best prayers are offered when you're scared. He said, Father, if I gave her dumb advice, forgive me and clean up my mess. He said he saw her the next day and he said it was amazing. She looked 15 years younger overnight he said what happened and she said well i went home and told my husband the way you said i should and he replied that he's known about it for 20 years now and he was just waiting for me to tell him so that he then could tell me how much he loved me she said he forgave me 20 years ago but i have been needlessly carrying around this guilt for all these years I tell you that story because some of you are like the woman in that story. You have been carrying around guilt for years that the Father's known about. Not only has he known about, but you admitted it, you confessed it back then, and he's forgiven you, and you have needlessly carried guilt for years and years. Won't you let the Lord break those chains today? Now, if it's not under the blood, confess it tonight. Make it right. But if it is, let him set you free. Father, I thank you that we can rest in the fact of your forgiveness. That these are, that we can rest on the fact of your word. That these are not just feelings from a Baptist preacher. But you've said in your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, your word says that there's not a sin that we could bring to you tonight. That Jesus didn't die for. Not a sin that we can bring tonight that you won't forgive. In fact, God, I, I pray tonight that during this invitation time, you'd be speaking to, to hearts here. That, uh, to some folks who, you'd be pointing out areas of guilt that they've been carrying that you have already set them free of that sin. You've already forgiven that sin. And God, give them the grace tonight to accept your forgiveness and focus on the future rather than looking at the past. Lord Jesus, you're the only one who can break this chain. But you have said, if you set us free, we're free indeed. And so God, as the pastor of these people tonight, I pray that you'd set some of them free. In Jesus' name, amen.